As we come today to listening for God's Word, would you join me in a moment as we calm ourselves and listen for the Spirit to speak? Let's join together. God, we thank you for your presence here and your whole, by your Holy Spirit. Let us draw in your breath that you give us each moment. Let us love you with all of who we are. Speak today, Lord, for your servants here and are ready. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So greetings from Chico, California, where I teach at Chico State and also pastor at Bidwell Presbyterian Church. And the topic for today is loving God and minding God. Minding God, how to love God with our minds. And I want to look at that in three ways today. Minding God through the beauty of nature, minding God through the beauty of the intellect, and minding God through the beauty of transformation. So, in a way, I, I know I'm here on a faith and science weekend, and I've had the opportunity to meet with uh, people from the congregation in different ways, but I want to talk first about my father. My dad, Tom Kutsona, the engineer. One of the things he taught me was how to appreciate the way things work. And, you know, I, want to sh I think there's a picture up, perhaps, of a Coke glass, so he used to say to my brother and me, you know, Marcus and Greg, these are very unstable glasses. The center of gravity is far too high. And I love that. My dad taught me the beauty of seeing how things worked, the physics, you might say, of the world in which we live, the beauty of nature that we just sang about, the beauty of God who speaks with wordless voice through the heavens and the earth. It's what Henry Nouwen, the great Catholic priest and writer, has said. All that is, is sacred. Because all that is speaks of God's redeeming love. Seas and winds, mountains and trees, sun, moon and stars, and all the animals and people have become sacred windows offering us glimpses of God. Loving God, minding God through the beauty of nature. Now, I think it's sometime around, I think it was the sixth grade that I did outdoor education. And so I grew up in the Bay Area. I was born at Stanford Hospital. I lived in Menlo Park for my early years before I went to college at Berkeley. And so my outdoor education was that way in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and I just love that week outside, enjoying nature, you know, walking among the redwoods and the moisture of those wonderful little streams. And during that time, there was one particular animal that stuck out to me. I don't know if you can imagine what it is, but uh, it is the mascot of UC Santa Cruz. <laughs> The banana slug, right? Those little slimy yellow banana-colored slugs. I just love them. 
They're perfectly adapted to their environment. They're kind of goofy and off, offbeat in a certain way. They just do their natural thing. But it was through that that I began to learn to appreciate the beauty of nature. Now, let me be clear. I did not, I was not a Christian at that time. I grew up in a family that we would call today nuns. Not as in people who live in a monastery or something, but as in N-O-N-E-S's, right? Where when asked what was our religious affiliation, we would say none of the above. And so I didn't really get much training in faith, Christian faith of any kind. We had a kind of court philosopher, a philosopher for our family, the writer Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand taught us about objectivism and the virtue of selfishness. And if there was any kind of contact I had with Christianity, it was sort of incidental contact with friends who were in a youth group and maybe popping into church every once in a while, but there was nothing very serious about it until a friend of mine in public school handed me a book and said, you might like this book if you think that Christianity is for, frankly, for idiots. And you might imagine it was the book by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. It's hard for me to talk about Lewis without getting teary. He has become part of the pantheon of saints. You know, his first name was Clive, Clive Staples Lewis. That's the C.S. part. So he never liked that name. He called himself Jack. So anyway, he's become Saint Clive for me, right? So Saint Clive got under my skin and I started reading Mere Christianity. You know what? And a lot of us are really impressed by the, the incredible arguments he has, but I was actually impressed by the wisdom and the way his wisdom cut through to me. I particularly remember his chapter on pride. And I didn't think of myself as a, pr- a proud person. I didn't really think it was a bad thing to be proud, to be honest. I was taught to... I do me, I think about me, I'm you know, a Randian sense of whatever I, I want in my own rational self-interest is good, triumph, have skill, achieve. But Lewis gave me a different vision. Now, being a junior at the time, I, I went through senior year and got senioritis and really didn't think about Lewis very much. But there is this point that kind of sounds like the punchline to a joke. It goes like this, grow up in a non-Christian home, go to UC Berkeley, become a Christian. (laughs) And that's what happened to me. Now, I've actually talked about this in other places, um, but I can tell you that it came, so I'd be happy to maybe add our conversation after the service. I think I'm happy, is that right, Tom? Should I go to this mic? Okay, I'll go to this mic. Um, I'll take this one off so I don't think I'm using it. So I, I, the, my path to, to faith did come through Lewis. It also came through studying other religions. It came through conversations with friends. And it came through what the philosophers call existential despair, which kind of sounds really cool and you know, trendy or something, but actually really was painful and hurtful. And I realized that the way my life had been put together up to that point really wasn't making any sense. So in my second quarter, we were still in quarters that time at Berkeley, I confessed faith in Christ as Savior. And it started me on a very important path. 
It started me on a path to seeing how to love God with all of my mind. And I don't want to talk about minding God through the beauty of the intellect because it was people like C.S. Lewis, my challenges from some of my studies at Cal that helped me to see that the Christian faith is robust and can engage with any kind of thinking that we bring to it, any kind of cultural engagement. And I'm really thankful that I was in a church, a Presbyterian church in Berkeley, that was such a culture-engaging and science-engaging church. So I never really got the, the negative view of science that a lot of churches give. It's kind of like, I'm sure, what you have here at the Presbyterian Church of Los Gatos, a really engaged version. And I, I can remember my pastor of the time, the head of staff, Earl Palmer, preaching and saying, you know, the gospel's not fragile. The gospel's not fragile. We don't have to worry about somehow if we get some new insight or some new book that it's going to endanger the gospel. The gospel's just not fragile. I don't know if you ever heard Earl Palmer. He, it, he's, he's like, uh, he's his own ge uh, genius, you might say. He's a unicorn preacher, and he was so enthusiastic. And he'd say, you know what? He'd shake the pulpit maybe even, I don't know. But he'd say, it's like, it's, it's like in Mary Poppins. Remember Mary Poppins? There's the general that shoots off the cannon, and they have to get all of the all the pottery and the and the and the and the uh, ceramics, and they have to hold them on the shelf so they don't fall off the shelf. And he said, "The gospel's not like that. The gospel's not fragile. We don't have to hold it up. Christ will do that for us." And so I was able to be part of this very robust sense of what God could do in the world. I'm very thankful for that. But I also had challenges along the way. First of all, I was living in a fraternity, so that when I became a Christian, so that had, we might say, ethical challenges involved with it. Maybe we can talk that, about that in the continuing the conversation after, the, after worship. But I was actually more interested in the intellectual part here. And I remember one time I was um, having dinner. I invited my parents up from Menlo Park to have dinner with one of my favorite professors of the time. And uh, we were studying the French Enlightenment. That was uh, a lot of my undergraduate degree was uh, French literature, Greek literature, that sort of stuff. And we were studying the French Enlightenment, and my, my professor was actually a, a Swiss-German professor named Friederike Hassauer. And so we went to what was then in the center of Berkeley, this restaurant called Upstart and Crow. It had great burgers and books and all that sort of stuff, and we're just talking and having a good time. My parents are getting to know a professor. And it was probably like the first year of my faith as a Christian, and I happened to say something like very blandly, that I believed in God. And I call this the Hassauer challenge. All of a sudden, it was like, you know, conversation stopped. And she looked at me and she said, how can you believe in God after the challenges of the Enlightenment, after Immanuel Kant and, De and David Hume? How can you believe in God? I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just a, I'm a sophomore right now. I've been a Christian for a year. I don't know anything, you know? I didn't quite say that, but that's what I felt inside, you know. I gave sort of a bland answer, but I realized there were challenges that I was going to face in my faith. And I needed people like Lewis, C.S. Lewis. I needed people like Earl Palmer. I needed people who were my colleagues and friends at, in college to help me to understand how to see the beauty of God in what I was studying. And, and I'll just give a, there's so much more I could say on this because it's been a lifelong journey for me. But what I've realized it's however much I love a subject, however much I love studying a particular subject and the beauty of thinking things through, God already knows that subject better than me. God loves that subject. God loves 
For example, the intricacies of the human genome. God knows about those 300 million pairs that define who we are, the language of God, as Francis Collins, the great scientist and evangelical Christian, talks about it. And Francis Collins is somebody that I've really been drawn to and uh, got a chance to meet him a couple different times. One was at a dinner, uh, actually it was right near the White House. He was late for the dinner because he was talking with the president. That gets in the way sometimes, you know? And uh, it was at a, an event with the uh, American Association for the Advancement of Science and Francis Collins was the uh, speaker. And so I just started talking with him. And you know, sometimes that doesn't go very well when you talk to one of your heroes. You kind of just think, it's like uh, Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live, I don't even remember that skit. You know, Francis Collins, you're really cool. I love everything you've written. Remember that thing you did? We wrote that book, you know, and that's kind of how some of this has gone, you know, but, but Francis Collins was engaging. He's like, well, tell me about yourself and, and uh, just this wonderfully humble person, brilliant and humble. And we started talking about C.S. Lewis, and he said, oh, yeah, let's talk about Lewis because he had come to faith reading mere Christianity. My point here is this. Collins learned to love God with his mind, and so we, when we read this verse, what Jesus is saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Francis Collins and people like him have taught me the beauty of doing that, especially through science. You might know that Collins was part of the Human Genome Initiative that mapped, he headed it up, that mapped the entire genome of our body. And he has said this about loving God through the beauty of the intellect. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshiped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful. One of the reasons that I have uh, found, co-founded an organization called Science for the Church is so that we can help churches to find resources in science that reinforce these insights and that also give encouragement to those who are in scientific and technological fields and those who are young who are going to be called into these fields because we need the next generation of Francis Collins to talk about AI, to talk about genetic engineering, talk about CRISPR-Cas9 technology, to talk about all the things that we're facing that are exciting but also challenging. And I met one of these people that has helped me to see how science, especially neuroscience, connects with our faith. And so the third part I want to talk about today in my message on loving God is minding God through the beauty of transformation. Minding God through the beauty of transformation. I want to read to you one of the great verses from the book of Romans. I appeal to you there, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, actually the word in Greek is logikane, your logical, your rational act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age. Don't be squeezed into a mold, but be transformed. Transformed by what? By the renewing of your noose, is the word in Greek, your noetic capacity by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love that. That was, I love that. That was a great little ring right there, right before I did the last bit. <laughs> and what I've learned from this colleague and friend, Leonard Matheson, who's a neuro 
trauma psychologist about, is about the neuro, neuroscience of transformation. You may know this. Do you know the word neuroplasticity? You probably have heard that word before, neuroplasticity. It's this great fact that God and his creation of us has made us our brains to remake themselves. It's almost like an answer to that uh, song we sang to start, How Does God Recreate Every New Day? Well, God is recreating us every day, and Paul tells us that we can be recreated by presenting our concrete selves every day to God and have our minds renewed. And, and, and Dr. Matheson, Len Matheson, has taught me what this means, that we have what are called neural, uh, in our neural network development, we have this way that our neurons that you know, manage our brain and our thinking are constantly being remade and reworked. We have, by the way, about 100 billion neurons. That's a pretty amazing complexity to our brain. It's one sign of God's creation of us, right? That we have this incredibly complex brain. And it's always having to remake itself because there's new information and new things that are happening. So our brain takes a lot of our energy. It takes about 20% of our glucose, about 20% of of our calories even. And one of the things is we have this great sheath of brain matter right here behind our forehead called um, the prefrontal cortex. That's what makes us different, uh, are unique in many ways from other animals. And, and that's very, uh, it's a brain hog, it's an energy hog. So our brains are designed so that they're always moving things from what we learn back into parts of our brains that don't take as much energy, like the hippocampus. So if you think your brain like this, Len, Len will tell me, make a brain you know, uh, with your hands. The hippocampus is where your pinkies are, and it, it's named after a seahorse. That's, a, what it, that's Greek for that, and so it's like a little seahorse piece of us, and it stores our memories short-term, about 24, up to 24 hours. And one of the things he's taught me is how we can be transformed in the renewing of our mind through the hippocampus. And what it is, is this. We create dominant neural networks of what we think about and what we continue to talk about. So, you know, maybe like uh, remote control is a very small neural network, but, but we have these dominant neural networks that can be formed by what we listen to and by what we follow and who we think about. So, if we're an MSNBC person or a Fox News person and we keep listening to it, it creates these dominant neural networks. And they, it actually makes us hard to think out of those neural networks, literally painful to move yourself out of these dominant networks. And so what Len has taught me is don't watch news after 7 p.m. <laughs> He's also taught me that naps are where we often will reconstitute our neural networks. So if you're taking a nap, just tell your friend or spouse, I'm, I'm doing neuroconsolidation work right now, okay? <laughs> but before we go to bed, turn off the news. And I've got an exercise I'd love to talk with you about called the healthy hippocampus, that little part of your brain moving these memories into storage in your amygdala and other places. And what it does is it helps us to be renewed and refreshed. I recommend really turning off the news, turning off the screens, and coming back to making a dominant network of God's love and grace. Guide me, guide us waking, O Lord, and guard, uh, guard us waking, guide me waking, O Lord, and guard us sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ and asleep. Rest in your peace, Lord. I have one final point. So if we can love God, mind God through our intellect, we can also mind and love God through 
what C.S. Lewis calls following the sunbeam back to the sun. And this is, I'm going back to my initial point, where nature speaks to us in its beauty. And if I have one exercise in your season that you're in, and by the way, I was here on September 10th in worship, and I, was lo I love the way there's these themes that you're meditating on, let your brain saturate on each month. So one of those things I would offer as a final practice is just to pay attention, to mind God and pay attention. Now, I learned this very early on before I was a Christian, but I've learned to make this a part of my life. You see, I, I went to Fremont School in Menlo Park for into kindergarten for, for my early grade years, and that's no longer a school. Um, and I would walk home from school with my friend Brad, and it was autumn, it was this time of year, and the leaves were coming down. So I think there's a little vis a visual of leaves that help you to think about the beauty of this season. And the leaves were coming down. As we walked back, we started seeing these leaves. They just seemed like huge leaves falling from great, huge, amazing trees. And we were five years old, so everything seemed big and marvelous. And we, we wanted to catch the leaves. So we were going from one leaf to the next trying to catch them. And we couldn't catch them. They swiveled and they darted and they were all over the place. And, and then we saw a squirrel. And when you're five years old, you can talk to squirrels. That's okay, right? So he said, hi, Mr. Squirrel. What are you doing, Mr. Squirrel? It's good to see you, Mr. Squirrel. And between the leaves and the friendship and the squirrel and Brad, I got lost in what the writer Anne Lamott calls big round hours of just paying attention to what was right before me and the beauty of nature. So it shouldn't have surprised me, but it did not, because I was still in the moment when my parents drove up and said, what have you guys been doing? You haven't come home. And I said, Mom and Dad, we're, we're catching leaves. And so I demonstrated what we were doing. I said, we're talking to the squirrel. Hi, Mr. Squirrel. Say hi to my parents, right? And, you know, my dad wasn't just the guy who was the engineer that analyzed Coke glasses. He was also had this great laid-back Mediterranean Greek side to him. He said, just keep doing it for a while. Before my dad died a few years ago, I asked him about, about that moment. And I said, Dad, do you remember that moment when Brad and I were catching leaves? And he just looked and said, marvelous, marvelous. So here's one practice when we think about minding God through the beauty of transformation and minding God through our intellect, but particularly minding God through nature, is simply to pay attention today, to take time to see God's beauty in this world around us, the beauty of following the sunbeam back to the sun. And maybe, maybe, just saying in light of this God that we can be mindful of, Marvelous. Thank you. May it be so for you and me today. Amen.